Now it came to pass in the thirteenth year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river of Kibar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. In the fifth day of the month, which was the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzay, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Kibar. And the hand of the Lord was there upon him. And the hand of the Lord was there upon him. Let's pray. Father, would you take us this morning and take us up in the Spirit? Would you reveal more of your Son to us and yourself? And we pray through your Spirit, Lord, you would reveal thine own word to our hearts, to our minds, and to our lives, that wherever we are and what condition we find ourselves in, Lord, that you know exactly where to find us. Glorify your name. Thank you for this table that reminds us of Calvary and the blood and body of your Son. So, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Now settle us in our seats, settle us in your presence, and settle our hearts to receive your word. Glorify your name, we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Just like to say, as always, there are people from uh, especially the United States are up very, very early in the morning, six hours behind now, and they get up to watch us live every Sunday morning. And throughout the world, we like to say we welcome you on Facebook Live and on YouTube as well. The Lord richly bless, whether you're from here or wherever else. God knows where you are, brother, sister. We think, well, God knows where you are sitting in this temporary building we have, CET Church here. Of course he does. That goes without saying. And we would even say to children, God's watching you and God knows what you're saying and God knows what you're doing. And that's true. All of it is completely true. Here we find that Ezekiel is a captive by a river and no one would know where he is. And God finds him. God finds him. There's people here as we see the, these, all these faces right to the very back way over there and right over to here, way to the back here. As our faces differ, so do our needs. Our lives are different. Our period and our point in time in our lives are different. Our feelings, our mindset, our emotions, our will, everything is different one from the other. Circumstances have come into our lives that we didn't expect and circumstances may have come into our lives which we were to blame for. But never, nevertheless, God knows exactly who we are, where we are, right at this moment, in place, point, and time. But not only does he know where we are being positionally here this morning, he knows where you are in the deep innermost being of your heart and your spirit, your thoughts. He knows the pain. He knows the hurt. He knows the disappointment, the disillusions that you've seen and heard and been through. He knows all of it. And there's nothing has escaped his gaze nor his knowledge. For example, whenever we, we think of God, we think of him just as, well, he's away up there and we're away down here and we have to try to climb somehow to God. And that's not what it's like at all as a Christian. God is in you. He is with you. And not only is he with you and in you, but everywhere you go, he's for you. He's your protector. 
He's your lead and he's your guide. Here Ezekiel is in the middle of nowhere, away out there in Babylon and somewhere by a river in Babylon and maybe even the uh, maybe the, the soldiers or maybe those who have taken Judah, the house of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel captive, they might know or have an idea Ezekiel's out there somewhere. And the wonderful thing about this is, is that Ezekiel's a priest. Notice, he's a priest in Jerusalem before the captivity. But now in the captivity, God gives him a promotion. Makes him a prophet. Sometimes where you are, in the condition you're in, the trial that you're going through, staying faithful to where you are at this time, no matter what's going on around you, God is fitting you out. God is kitting you out. God is making you and he's molding you. He's fashioning you for that which he has for you. Sometimes we see the hardships and the hurts and the disappointments and all of those things. Who would know how I feel and who would know where I am or what I'm going through? But God knows where to find you. God knows exactly where you are, not only in your position as in here, but he knows your condition in here. In here. God's providence comes to Ezekiel. Verse 1 tells us that the heavens were opened. Listen to what he says, and I saw visions of God. Notice here, he's a priest. A priest brings people to God. Notice, a priest's office is to bring people to God. That's what the priests did in ancient Israel. They went into the holy place and in the high priest of the Holy of Holies, and they brought people to God, as it were. They prayed as though the people's sins were their sins. The breastplate of judgment upon their breast with the twelve stones with the twelve tribes of Israel on it. And these, these stones and these names represented all those people. And so the blood was applied to the mercy seat. The priest brought the people to God. And God had to come down in glory. So God still had to come in grace. It wasn't the priest who'd bring them to heaven, but rather brought them to God where God would meet them at the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle in the wilderness, then in the temple in Jerusalem. And notice this. So a priest brings the people to God. Here he is a priest. Now Ezekiel is made a prophet. A prophet brings God to the people. Notice that a prophet brings God to the people. The heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. I wonder did Ezekiel ever, ever see anything like this before? Because if he has, we don't know. And when we read the book of Ezekiel, it's very complicated in ways. Men have tried to work out what are wheels within wheels turning and burning and these chariots and people have said they're from everything from the chariot of the Lord to someone once says, oh, and a lot of people are gathering this today that these are uh, spaceships. Now, brothers and sisters, here's what I want to say to that sort of thing. Why on earth would a spirit, God Almighty, need a spaceship? Rather, that would be demonic to me rather than it being from the Lord. And so all of these things, he's bringing now, the heavens are opened. 
I saw visions of God. God speaks to him. He writes it down. And this priest who brings people to God now brings God to the people. And that's what preaching should be about, bringing God to the people. Preaching should be as what we're prophesying, bringing God to the people. It might be in, a, in a, an individual capacity, in a personal way where we speak out of what God has given us to bring you, and suddenly that drops into your heart because you realize what the preacher is saying, it's ringing true with me. That's God, through his word, bringing God to the people. So notice here, let's look at God's providence because everything is done in providence. Everything in our lives, everything is done by God's providence. Thomas Watson, an old Puritan, listen to what he said about the providence of God. There are three things in providence. One, God's foreknowing. Two, God's determining. And three, God's direct. The three things to their periods and events. So the three things of providence are God is knowing before it happens. God determines what will happen. And God determines how and when it will happen. God wasn't taken by surprise, brother. He wasn't taken by surprise. And all of a sudden, when the Babylonians came in captivity and took the house of Judah of the southern kingdom away, he wasn't taken by surprise as if to say, oh, and Ezekiel's among those of the second wave of captivity, as it's called, and all of a sudden God has lost Ezekiel. As if Ezekiel could go out of God's sight, and now suddenly he's God's priest and he's uh, from a priestly home in the priestly line, and all of a sudden now, well, he's not God's anymore because he's taken away into Babylon, and that's him lost. You must be joking. God had already told Judah, as he did the house of Israel beforehand in the northern kingdom, that these things would happen if they didn't turn and repent, if they didn't turn themselves back to him. And so he tells them that they're going to go into captivity. They'll be there 70 years. Notice before it happens, he tells it through the prophet Jeremiah. And he says, after 70 years, I'll visit you and bring you out. So God isn't taken by surprise by the things that happen to you. God isn't taken by surprise by the things that happen to your life, your home, and your family. He isn't taken by surprise. And, and sometimes we find ourselves as if we're all alone, that we're isolated. No one, possibly not even God, knows where we are. But one day, if I can call it out of the blue, one day at the right time, according to God, not known to Ezekiel, the heavens started to open when he was at the river Kibar. And he saw visions of God. And do you know in your worst of times, when you're, as it were, trusting and holding on and digging deep, it's a perseverance of the Holy Ghost in you. It's the preservation of the Holy Spirit in you. And you're digging deep. 
Where are you, Lord? And, and I don't know what I'm going to do. And this needs paid. And my job's been lost. And all of these things happen. And, and we look at, what, Lord, I, I can't see you. I can't feel you. There's no presence of you. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you, he has promised neither to leave you nor forsake you. And it's our mindset that we need to change our minds. We need to repent of our thoughts like this, knowing that God is with us in the storm. He's with us through the valley and he helps us climb up the mountain. In all things, at all times, God knows where to find you, brother. And God knows where to find you, sister. Exactly, not only the position you're in here today, that's not what I'm speaking of. Well, God maybe speaks to you today in here, but he knows what condition you're in. Not your position only, but your condition with him and within yourself. In all things, God is faithful. Ezekiel chapter 1 verses 1 to 3 shows us how Ezekiel is by the river. The heavens open. He sees visions of God. And the very dates tell us how poignant it was. You know what? And I'm saying this, please don't take it the wrong way, but I have to say it. Sometimes people get visions so-called and revel, and I'm a Pentecostal to the core. You know that. But sometimes get people say they see visions and, and get things from God. And the, to me, they've had too much cheese sandwiches before they went to bed. I'm being truthful. I'm being honest with you. When God speaks, you'll know it. When God moves, you'll know it. You'll find sometimes in your life that you'll not know where God is. That you'll not know anything about him because he's so far away, seemingly from you. That your mind is so far off him, seemingly he has no mind for you. But I can tell you, brother, and I can tell you, sister, God knows where you are. And God knows where to find you. And God knows how to help you. He knows what you need better than you do. And I, for one, thank the Lord that he doesn't answer all my requests. Because sometimes my requests can be out of his will, and sometimes my requests could be detrimental to what he has for me. And sometimes my requests are out of time. Notice here, in the providence of God, in God's foreknowing, knowing before it happens, in God's determining God causing things to happen, and God's directing all things after the counsel of his own will, and in that providence from God's will, the will of man, because sometimes our will is completely out of tune from God's will. So Ezekiel here tells us the exact dates. He tells us, I was among the captives by the river Kibar, the heavens were open, I saw visions of God. In the fifth day of the month, 
which was the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's captivity. Why would he mention even the king? He's telling us who the king of Babylon was on that very day. In other words, it stuck with him. And the thing about the word of God, this word that we hold in our hands is when we get this word into us and we know this word and God speaks to us through the word, no matter what happens in the world or in your personal life or world, no matter what goes on with you, you can always go back and say, Lord, I remember you said it. Here it is. Here it is. Notice here in the third verse, the word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzay in the land of Chaldeans by the river Kibar, and the hand of the Lord was there upon him. No matter what condition you're in, to know that the hand of the Lord is upon you is all you need. God, your hand is on me. And you might say to me, well, how do I know if the Lord's hand is on me? I'll tell you how you know the Lord's hand is on you. If you're his child and you've repented of your sins and you're washed by faith in the blood of the Lamb, if you've put your whole full trusting heart on the Lord Jesus Christ and completely, only, solely, uniquely and totally on him alone and none other, then the Spirit of God, if he lives in you, then what you must say is then your hand is on me. Because I'm your child. Sometimes his hand may be a chastening hand. But his hand is always a loving hand. When we look at God's providence, we speak of his omnipotence. God is the omnipotent God. In other words, he's all-powerful. I believe my Father in heaven is all-powerful. Who believes that this morning? He's the Almighty. I believe that with all my heart. I believe it with all my heart. If I don't believe that, then I'm falling short. And if I don't believe that, then we might as well go home. Because then he's not God. You can't have two almighties because if one almighty and then there's another almighty, well, one almighty will un-almighty himself and he's not almighty anymore. And then you're back to one almighty. The devil isn't almighty. The devil's created, he's fallen, and he's crushed. He was created, not God. He has fallen, and at Calvary, he was crushed. So that tells me, brother, no matter how weak you are, sister, that tells me that you and I are on the winning team, on the victory side. That we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. The one who came, bled and died in Calvary's tree for us. And we're more than conquerors through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the things that are coming on the earth, the things that are happening... We have nothing to be afraid of, concerned of, or worried about. Whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Notice here, I believe God is omnipotent, He's almighty. That the scriptures tell me He's omnipresent. 
That means that God is everywhere at once. Do you know that God was already there before Ezekiel knew it? He's omnipresent. God was in that region, that area. God was at the river Kibar before the heavens even opened. But because we are who we are of these frail, fallen, depraved human beings, bodies, these things that that wear thin and get old and sick and weakly at times, because of these things, we, we tend not to see the greater glory of God. We miss out on who he is because we're so, uh, uh, let's say we're so uh, centralized on our navel. That's a belly button for those who don't know what a navel is. In other words, we're so inward looking at ourselves, so inward looking at our own problem. We're so inward looking at the things that are going around us and how it affects me rather than being outward looking and looking to our God. He who is above all things, who has crushed the serpent's head, who has called us by his grace, who has washed us in the blood of the Lamb, who has covered us and clothed us in his righteousness, and who has filled us with his own blessed Holy Spirit. Instead of us looking and according to the word, open the book. Instead of us doing that, we tend to shrink within ourselves. God is not only omnipotent, he's omnipresent, he was there. And God is with you even when you don't know it. God is with you when you're at your weakest. He's right beside you. He's within you. He's above you. He's beneath you. St. Patrick's prayer. Read it. He's right. God before me. God behind me. God above me. God beneath me. God within me. God without of me. And so on and so on. Read it. And he was right. No matter the weakness. No matter the trial. No matter the trouble. No matter the tribulation. The testing. Even in the times of your temptation. No matter what it is. God is with you. God is within you. And he was with Ezekiel. And Ezekiel didn't realize it until the heavens opened. Sometimes that's what we're waiting for. But remember this, brothers and sisters, we're post-cross. We're in the new covenant era, age. Notice as well. It says in verse 3, The word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzay, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Kibar, and the hand of the Lord was there upon him. Someone might flippantly say, Well, look, the hand of the Lord is on her, I can see it, and the hand of the Lord is on him, and I can see it in their lives. Do you not realize that most times, most times, People who are going through circumstances, certain things in their life, they can't see the hand of the Lord in their own lives, but on everyone else's. You can't see it. You're blinded to it. And it wasn't until the heavens opened that Ezekiel saw visions of God. The providence, the sovereignty... Of Almighty God was 
strong in the life of Ezekiel and in all the prophets. It was strong in the hand and the life of Israel. And it's still the same today. Will you turn with me to the Psalms and keep your Bibles maybe marked out Ezekiel chapter 1? Turn to the Psalms, please. We're going to go to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. We'll start reading at verse 1. Notice here, we're going to look at the omnipotence. We're going to look at the, uh, uh, pardon me, the omniscience, the omnipresence, and the omnipotence of God. Verse 1. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsittings and mine uprisings. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. See from verses 1 to 5, get into verse 6 there. You want to write there, omniscience. Omniscience. God is the omniscient God. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. In other words, he knows all things. He knows your deep innermost beings, thoughts, feelings, fears, emotions. He knows it all. And right there, omniscience for those verses. That God knows. He searches us. And he knows us. He knows our downsetting, our uprising. He understands our thoughts afar off. He compasses our path. And he knows when we are standing, lying down, and we're awake or we're asleep. He knows it all. He says, there's not a word in my tongue, but lo, thou knowest it all together. You know what I'm going to ask you, Lord, before I do. And some might say, then why should I pray? Why pray if God knows it all? Because God wants to have fellowship with you. God wants to have relationship with you. And God wants you to speak it out to tell him, listen, you can be honest with God. You can be honest with him and tell him exactly what you're thinking and how you're feeling. And you might say, but he already knows that. Why tell him? Because he's your counselor. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. He's your counselor. He wants you to be honest with him. It doesn't doesn't matter, you know, what you tell him. God's shoulders are big enough to take it. His shoulders are big enough for all of your problems and sins and whatever you need to repent of. And mine. coming over here in the car today and I says, Lord, I wish I was better for you. I wish I was just better. I'm just, I'm rubbish. You deserve more. Lord, you deserve better than me. Better than what I give you. I wish I was better. 
And while we can strive to do better, I want you to hear me, brother. I want you to hear me, sister. While we can strive to do better, we are not sinless, but we could sin less. What you would do will not make God love you any more than he does right now. God can't love you any more than he does because he sets his love on you. He loved you in eternity past. He gave his son for you. He can't love you any more than that. And it doesn't change. His love doesn't change for you. Notice here, if you write then from verses 1 to 5, get into 1 to 6, omniscience. And in in verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high I cannot attain unto it. Suddenly David gets this idea, this king, he's a psalmist, he's a prophet. He's the sweet psalmist or singer of Israel. Uh, You know, this man is a mighty warrior. He's got everything at his disposal. Uh, And he gets this sudden revelation You're amazing. Father, you're amazing. You are wonderful. I can't even grasp hold of this. I can't fully understand this. I can't plumb the depths of it. I'll never fully be able to get the grips with it. But what I do know at this point in time, David, I am agreeing with you according to the Scripture I'm agreeing with you, David, and you can say that, Father, you're wonderful. You're amazing. He's brilliant. When we look on down here in verse 7, when we go from verses 7 to 10, right, omnipresent, whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. Ezekiel is by the river Kibar, taken away captive. Who would know me here? A lot lot of you, or some of you might know this. Alison and I wrote, wrote this little bit in our book that we wrote. Um, a few couple of years back or so. And we wrote this story about us being in Romania. We're in this little village, uh, third largest city in Romania is Timisoara. If you looked at the map, it's sort of northeast, up near where the whole um, Croatia area and all Yugoslavia area was around there. Um, there was a nice new... Um, it was an orphanage, but it wasn't a, a, it was a, a, a beautiful building. It wasn't, we called it the children's home. And we lived on the top floor. And at that point, I think about 26, was it? 26 children at that point. Roughly about there. And there was a little outpost. There used to be a house that some Baptist people tried to get up and running, and it just didn't work for them. And it was part of the ground. We got, it was painted up, and I went around the village with my interpreter. I was trying to learn bits and pieces of Romania and say the odd wee phrase, but that's about the height of it. 
And I remember our interpreter from when we were there at the building of the home there before we moved over. His name was Mircea. Now, coming from here, we had never heard names like that and we couldn't remember it, so we called him Dennis. <laughs> he didn't mind. So I says, Dennis, let's go. And every day, Dennis and I went out and we went around all the villages, door to door, speaking to the people. I'll tell you a million stories, but I won't tell you this. I'd been around the villages day after day and he was interpreting what I couldn't understand. And this Sunday, I was trying to tell people about the Lord, seeing what their needs were in the villages to try and help. But I was trying mainly to win souls. I remember I walked across. It was a lovely, beautiful, sunny day. Came out of the home. Just walked across the courtyard or the, the yard part and into the little back of the little house and there along the front, right at the window, was a pathway and a little road. Just one road ran through all of it. And it was, it was like something that you know, it was just really bumpy and there was only the one road, the rest were mud tracks. And this is where we were living. And I looked and there was, it was maybe quarter, 10 to 11. Not one came to church. Oh. Oh. I says, this is, I was so depressing. So hard. And I walked out and I walked back towards the home and I thought I'd walk around and up the side of the home and away, it's good size, and away down and I stood around the back going to do about this, Lord. I walked back around again. There was nobody there again. My heart was in the boots. Empty. Totally empty. We church that I held maybe 70 people. Totally empty. And I walked outside and I stood at the gates of the home. Big gates. And there was the, there was a bend right at my feet and there was the road just up a little bit. It was sunk down up a bit. There was a bend around here. The road came. Went for miles just through all the villages. I remember thinking this. I want to go home. I've had enough. Tired. I want to go home. And then I thought, we're in a village that most people don't even know exists, except the villagers and those about the area. I says, Lord, nobody even knows where I am, where Allison is. We are here on our own. We were up against it. There was still a lot of communism there. Communism's everywhere now, but the old communism, as you knew from the Russian Soviet Union, still a lot of that about. Um, we'd been a, threatened with jail because I was opening this church, and they were saying, we're going to put me, put me in jail if, if we opened it, and so on. And I thought, Lord, I, I, had a, I was a lot younger then, and maybe I had a lot more bottle, or maybe it was just a bit more umph on me, I don't know, but I, I stayed around. But this time I was flattened. There's two houses facing the other side and a gap in the houses. They says, Lord, nobody knows we're here. There's nobody come after all this. I've done weeks of work at this. Not one's turned up, Lord. Does it, Lord, nobody knows where I am and where Allison is. We, 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 we should just go home. This is what I was saying. Gurning in the face of God. Gurning in the face of God. Moaning, murmuring. That's our human. That's our human side, isn't it? I remember looking and there was two houses here, a clear way over the village. Lord, nobody even knows the trials we're going through. Nobody knows the hurt we're going through. Nobody knows the disappointments here. Me and Alston, we used to have to turn out the light and sneak into the church in the dark because all big windows along the front. 
and sit underneath the windowsill to be able to talk to each other without anybody finding out. It's not much happening at the time. The place was bugged, little bugs. Find out our conversations before we even got talking to others about them. So much was happening. Couldn't figure out what was going on. He says, Lord, what is happening? We're under pressure 24-7. I'll still tell you, like, we... She thought it was great. She loved the place. I had a love-hate relationship with it. We brought... We were bringing aid into the village one time and somebody came out from the crowd and hit me on the head with an iron bar. And when I went down, all her members were flush. And, but the people loved us. And they stood up for us. And whoever it was that chased them. And I remember standing looking here. I just had enough. Lord, nobody even knows where we are, what we're going through. Suddenly, there's this wee black dot between the two houses. It's a wee bird. The wee bird just kept coming. I just I caught my eye and I thought, that wee bird. And the car came round the bend here and the wee bird was dipping down going like this. The car came round the bend, the wee bird, and it hit the wee bird. And the wee bird flew and it landed right at my feet. And I went, oh, the wee thing, and I lifted it up. And it was dead. Spirit of God spoke to me. There's not a sparrow will fall to the ground without your father knowing it. If you're worth more than many sparrows, then how much would your father know what you're going through? I set the wee bird down in the grass and I had to go and repent. I walked away to the end again and I repented. Lord, I'm so sorry for doubting you. So sorry, Lord. I was there about 10 minutes and I came back up and I walked into the wee building thinking, I'll close it up and I'll trust you for next week. And the place was packed. It was packed. And souls were saved. Souls were saved to the glory of God. You see, God knows where to find you, brother. And God knows where to find you, sister. Ezekiel is in the middle of nowhere. Middle of nowhere. And the Lord knew where to find him. So God in his providence, God in his omnipresence, God in his omnipotence, and God in his omniscience knowing all things, he opens the very heavens. He showed me a sparrow. And it was great. A sparrow's enough. Do you know that? That's enough. When God gives you just a sparrow, that's enough. But he opened the heavens for Ezekiel. Here's what it tells me this morning as we round this up. And we'll do part two in the Lord's will next week. Here's what it tells me. That God is careful and conscious about the little things as much as he is the big ones. The opening of the heavens is nothing to God. Do you hear that, brother, sister? The opening of the heavens, if he needs to do that, is nothing to God. Paul and Silas are in jail. They're in the inner prison. They're in locks and stocks. 
their chains are around their arms or their legs, and there they are in the inner prison. And in that, they realize our God is still the same. Listen, they're human. They would have... They start to sing. And here's what happens. They start to sing praises to God. And God sent an earthquake to get them out. Sent an earthquake to get them out. God can open heavens. God could send an earthquake. God could show a sparrow. Whatever it is and whatever it takes, God knows where to find you and he knows exactly what you need, not only in the position you find yourself in, but in the condition you find yourself in. He knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. I'll close in a few minutes. So Ezekiel by the river in Babylon carried away no one knows where he is as it were and you see he was in the southern kingdom of Judah in Jerusalem and there are three known captivities that came to the people there the first one was under Jehoiakim notice the name Jehoiakim and that's when Daniel was taken away and the three Hebrew children Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego So that was the first captivity. They took the cream of the crop, as it were. They took the upper echelons of of the the Judah's society with all the gifts and talents and all these people. The enemy took those. You see, it's as if we don't want them, them, the other ones down the the lower end. You know, the weak and the foolish and all those sort of people. But isn't it amazing what the world wants? But notice this. When we step over into God's area... He chose the weak and the foolish. He's, he chooses those who freely can't. He, choose, he chooses people like me. He saves people like me, people like you. And I'll tell you why he saves people like you and me. Because then whenever he is working on his hand like it was on Ezekiel, is in your life. When his hand is on your life, whenever he has to whether open the heavens or show you a sparrow in your life and you see visions of God, whether it be through revelation or whether it be through the page, whatever it may be. Whatever it may be. He'll get the glory for it. Because everyone that I know, everyone that I know, whom God has used, whom God has done works through, maybe it's at some place, some point in time, or whether it's been a lot of their life. I'm not talking about being depressed and feeling miserable now. Please don't get me wrong. But they have known in their own selves that they are unable. But everything they do is they step out in the will and purpose of God. And he causes them, like Jesus caused Peter to walk in water, that you do it in his strength. For I can do all things through Christ strengtheneth me. The first was Jehoiakim. The three Hebrew children are taken away. The second was Jehoiachin. That's his son. What do you call your dad? Jehoiakim. What's your name? Jehoiachin. Notice 
Ezekiel's taken then, starts taking the cream away from Judah. And the third one was under Zedekiah. We all heard about Zedekiah, don't we? He killed his sons and burnt his eyes out. And that was the last imprinting vision he had in his mind. But in his chains, God spoke to him. Listen, in Zedekiah's chains in Babylon, blinded with the vision of his own sons murdered in front of him, God knew where he was. God knew where to find him. And God came to him. That was the third captivity, and Jerusalem would fall. I was going to do this this week, but obviously I've just went off as the Spirit led me there. Here's what we'll look at in God's will. Think of Daniel taken away in that captivity. Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar has his dream. The head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly of brass or bronze, the thighs of iron right down to the legs and the feet of iron and clay. All prophetic kingdoms. Listen, and he tells Nebuchadnezzar, thou art this head of gold. And do you know what happens? The head of gold, the Babylonian kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar becomes so swelled up in his head that he builds an idol. And he says, whoever hears the music in all of the lands and languages. In other words, whenever you get the word to do what we tell you to do, everybody become unified and do it all together. And don't you dare stand up against the rules of Babylon. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Doesn't it? When we blow the instruments and play with the harp and the dulcimer and the flute and so on, want you all to bow down and worship and worship this idol. God scattered all those people. They tried to bring it back again. They tried to bring it under the European Union. They tried to bring it back under different things. But now they're trying to bring a global one back. Tell you what to wear, how to wear it, what to do, when to do it. And we're going to start doing it bit by bit. Bit by bit. I wonder how many of us will bow down to worship the beast. I hope none of us. I pray none of us. Because God knows where to find us. I'll look at it more next week. God bless his word to us this morning.